When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is that time of the year. Training camp preseason actually starts tonight. Hall of Fame game, which means, unfortunately, this is the time when we start to get injuries. And I can think of no one better to bring on to guide us through how to handle injuries, how to project players maybe coming back from injury, and just everything that goes into maybe the most critical element of fantasy football, but the hardest one for at least for people like me to figure out. Matthew Betts at the Fantasy PT on Twitter from the Fantasy Footballers. We're going to dive in. Bring your questions, anything you want to hear about injuries. Let's get into it. Matthew, thank you, thank you for uh, for joining me today. I imagine this is um, even more of a hectic time for you as camp really starts getting going. You obviously have you know more than just injury stuff that you're doing for work, but this is like the time when you know a bunch of noobs and people like me that don't know what we're talking about are needing people like you to be like, can I draft Chris Godwin? Right? It's like kind of a crazy time for you. It is. And what's funny is like it it feels like a very calm and kind of relaxed time of the year when you get to the end of end of July. It's like, all right, like the season's coming, you're getting excited. And then all of a sudden it's it's just a, a flurry of news as we've seen um, with you know the PUP and players are that in the recovery and this player activated off PUP or not. And I'm just always updating stuff. What feels like daily, literally. Um, which is crazy because you go from a couple months of like, all right, like this is very relaxed, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, here we go, and that's when the season really feels like it starts for me. I always joke is August first and not um, not week one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does it does make a lot of sense. It's kind of funny you bring up the pup thing, and maybe we can um, that'll kind of lead into what we were gonna kind of kick the conversation up. The the pup thing is kind of a funny one too, where. Sometimes a guy is going, you know, it's a little different again at this point in the season. And maybe you can even speak to that a little bit where guys are going on PUP. And sometimes it is a little bit of a, oh, okay, maybe he's a little more hurt than we thought. And other times it's just, you know, a camp thing, whatever they're, they're putting him on PUP. It's not a big deal. He could get activated tomorrow, but there's, it's kind of part of this broader injury landscape that, you know, I'm not saying we're seeing more injuries, but there's kind of a lot more information out there about injuries. A little bit of it can be conflicting, right? For again, for someone like me that doesn't really know what I'm looking at or what I'm reading, you know, there's there's people on Twitter, there's articles, there's you know, the people on ESPN or whatever talking about all this. Do you have kind of a just like a, an overview of you know where like kind of the state of the NFL is with a lot of this different stuff? Like you know, we got the Cam Akers thing coming back super fast last year, and it just feels like we're in this weird state of science and stuff getting better but there's more information and trying to figure all that out for fantasy football can be kind of daunting yeah it's crazy when you think about even five 
heck, 10 years ago, when you look at the injury reporting that was happening in the NFL compared to what it is now, I mean, we have people like myself analyzing injuries that are happening. We have beat reporters for all 32 teams for, gosh, 50 different sites for, you know, it's crazy how many people are talking about certain players coming off injury. And that's what you kind of said. It can lead you down the correct path sometimes. It can also lead you down the incorrect path sometimes. And so I think, you know, what I try to do a lot for my audience and for people is try to kind of bring it into a here's what you need to know standpoint, you know, kind of tie in what people are seeing from certain players on the field, but also remembering that we have years and years and years of data and medical background and training and all those sort of things that that doesn't just go out the window because a beat reporter said Chris Godwin looked great today in practice or whatever it is, right? Like you have to remember that um, we're looking across a big continuum and a large sample of recovery not just kind of in one practice or one game or that sort of thing but yeah it's crazy the injury covering aspect of things is i think can be really helpful and can also be kind of a little bit misleading at sometimes too so i think for people you know whether it's does that to be me whoever you trust out there like i think find your guy find your gal and um and make sure that you know you follow their work and kind of see if they've been accurate and that kind of thing because that can be really helpful if you're taking this seriously to differentiate yourself from um, finding someone that knows what they're talking about and then finding someone else that you're just hoping that their report is correct sort of thing. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Can you um, just talk a little bit before we get to down into the, the nitty gritty, um, you know, of how you got into all, all this? Obviously, you're the fantasy PT on, on Twitter, but kind of your background a little bit um, in this space, you know, and what you're doing now this year, et cetera. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I always laugh when I talk about it out loud because it's just a ridiculous uh, situation. So yes, I uh, am a licensed physical therapist. Um, A lot of the injuries that we are going to talk about, ACLs, hamstrings, uh, dislocated shoulders, concussions, that is what I was seeing on a day-to-day basis in the clinic with athletes. Now, granted, I've never worked with NFL athletes, but seeing that day-to-day was something that allowed me to kind of have, I feel like, this unique lens on fantasy football. While at the same time, I am just as much of an addict as a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are (laughs) a fiend for football. So when I envisioned this in my head, I was like, man, I wonder if there's a world that exists where I could use this injury knowledge and my love of fantasy and and football and kind of marry the two together. And fortunately, there was a need with uh, with the ballers, uh, gosh, what, five, six years ago at this point, that I started just doing a little bit of injury coverage here and there to kind of help them out. And each year that went by, they're like, hey, can you also do this? And oh, by the way, can you also host the DFS podcast? And how do you feel about (laughs) writing DFS articles each week while also doing an injury podcast? So I have this just wild, unique role that I never, ever thought would exist. Um, And it's been super fun to kind of see that grow throughout the years and just join the Ballers actually now full time this past spring. So um, I would say right now my my role is kind of 50-50 injury and 50-50 DFS and and regular fantasy content. But what's what's funny about it, and I always give the guys a hard time when I tell this story, is that I was going out for a run one night. And just like all of us do in August, we we get back into fantasy mode. Or if you're playing basketball, you've been here all all summer. (laughs) But for a lot of casual people, which five or six years ago I was... um, I was turning on a podcast for my, for my run and I was like, oh, this one sounds cool. And I heard them talk about a certain player's injury. And I, in my head, I was like, that doesn't seem right at all. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, here's what I do. I think I could help you guys. And, um, and kind of the rest is history from there. It is so funny how how that happens. I don't have that. Like, a, it's kind of 
a very similar story, but very different, right? A very awkward path how we how we got here. I never ever would have guessed that I'd be sitting here, you know, uh, you and I probably both five, six, seven right. years ago uh, <laughs> on a Thursday afternoon talking about fantasy football for a living. But um, so that's been, you know, five or six years, right? What do you think has kind of been the thing that has like either you've learned like if you had to like say like okay over these five years this is the thing that like I feel like I've learned the most or like kind of what has changed in the NFL right you we both of us kind of mentioned about how you know we can't throw away the stuff that we've you know years and years that people like you you know research that you guys have done um just in the medical field but also you know we're learning and we're evolving it you know is there anything in particular that sticks out to you I think just one thing in general is I see a lot of people that play fantasy want a yes or no answer and a specific he's ready for week one or he's not. And, yeah. and people aren't willing to see it as a continuum like Chris Godwin, who we're going to talk about. He might play week one. I would be shocked if he's 100 percent, but people don't care about that. They care about is he ready for week one or if it's yeah. if it's a, in the week, if it's a Friday, is he playing? And, and people aren't willing to see the fact that like this whole injury recovery and risk tolerance of fantasy football is a continuum right and, and we give will fuller a lot of uh, a lot of flack for his hamstring <laughs> issues over the years and you know he's the perfect example of this people were never willing to buy the dip when it got to a certain point where it was worth it and we saw that year when he was with the texans and deshaun watson was there before all this fallout he was awesome but when he was a third round pick like the risk was so high and people aren't kind of willing i think to to really take their understanding of injuries and understanding of risk tolerance to the next level and uh, i think people just make it a little bit too yes or no black and white when the reality is you know it's a whole continuum and that's really what we're here to try to figure out uh, where is it okay to take the risk and where is it a, a spot to fade that's that's also so funny that you bring that up because that's like the conversation like in best ball you know in, in i mean it is that way in dfs too right in in basically any kind of view of this weird crazy game that we play that we're also obsessed with it, that's all everything is a range of outcomes everything is probabilistic but like you said a it's hard for even just you know anybody can get caught up in you know treating things in a binary manner um it, it happens to the best of us but that's what most people like you said tell you know it from the dfs like, tell me who to play or tell me who to pick or tell me if he's gonna you know is he gonna play yes okay He's playing. That's it. Right. right. I, I'll never forget the um, the Keenan Allen situation when. Oh, yes. uh, yeah. The uh, <laughs> he's 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 literally what on ESPN or whatever. Like, don't bench, you know, don't bench me. Don't bench me because he was like a, the most game time decision you can possibly be. And he's telling people not to bench him. And he is active. And then he doesn't. And then he didn't. Yeah, I don't even remember exactly if he played a couple snaps or whatever, you know. So this but it's a perfect example of like it's not you know are you playing are you not are you you know are you healthy like i don't know do you feel healthy every day when you wake up in the morning like technically no I my knee's not, my yeah <laughs> my knee is not blown out but i don't know that i would say you know i feel 100% to go play a football game and these guys you know are dealing with a lot a lot more so that's something that we have to deal with and you know fantasy football we talk about it in best ball all the time it's like yeah you know uh Trey Lance last year that was a, a possibility that that happened, that he just didn't play. There was also very many other scenarios that could have played out, and injuries are probably even even um, crazier than that. The one thing that we have seen, I, I, the Cam Akers thing is the one that's just flummoxed me the, the, the most. R some specific situations, specific players with what we would have – historically thought to be you know like career altering injuries coming back and now came makers to your 
point you've kind of already made. He came back and he probably wasn't Cam Akers, you know, when he when he came back. But sometimes we're getting these kind of crazy timetables um, in terms of recovery. Is that something that, you know, you're just like monitoring a little bit more closely or is there any like kind of, um, you know, indicators of some things that are, you know, improving in the fields? Yeah. And, and this is just like anything else, right? Like an injury recovery and performance, um, you know, there's outliers that exist. And if you look at Adrian Peterson winning the MVP after his ACL injury, <laughs> yeah. that was the worst thing that happened to ACLs because people just assumed that that's the new normal. And obviously we've seen players are successful coming back, but for every, you know, every um, Adrian Peterson, there's a Dalvin Cook who re-injures something and misses a bunch of time or Saquon Barkley who wasn't himself to start the year last year. And so when you have these outliers, people just kind of attach themselves to that being the new norm. And this yeah. is what I was referencing earlier. We have a lot of data and a big sample that tells us that, you know, that could be where things go, but we're not there yet. And so I'm, I'm excited about K-Makers this year relative to last year. I was absolutely shocked that he was able to do that, which speaks to how far we've come in medicine. But as you said, you know, clearly when he got back on the field, not 100%. And when you look at just last year coming back in, to reestablish himself in season is really tough for any player, let alone a July Achilles injury to come back and play in the playoffs versus, okay, now let's look at what's happening this calendar year and the ecosystem for Cam Akers and his recovery. He is no longer in rehab and recovery mode. He is now in strength and performance mode to get ready for this season. And so if you asked me last year if I was playing Cam Akers in any of those DFS weeks, it was, of course not, right? Why, why, why would we be doing that? But now, like... He's at a point where he's in an ambiguous situation because people aren't sure, should I take the risk or not? And if you're asking me if I'm willing to this year versus last year, you know, understanding the range of outcomes, I'm willing to see that there's a, a scenario where he could have a great year and he could be over this Achilles issue because he was able to come back so well the first time. And there is some data that's preliminary that's actually showing when athletes are able to come back in year one, that even though that year it doesn't go well, that the following year and second year especially things go so much better. And we're seeing that a little bit, you know, names like Deontay Foreman uh, had a, a decent run a couple of weeks here and there last year. We'll mm -hmm. see what happens with Marlon Mack. Um, and the, the procedure itself too, for Achilles initially 10 years ago when I was kind of first learning about it. And then when I was seeing all this stuff, like athletes were having me put in a boot for a very long time, like upwards of 12 weeks when you're immobilized in a device, your muscles just go away so so fast if anyone's had a surgery they understand this <laughs> there's new techniques where the incision is smaller you don't have to make as much damage to the muscle and the tendon they kind of reinforce the tendon from above and below to kind of let you load it a little bit faster and so you can start strengthening a little bit more hmm. gets your timeline going a little bit faster i think that's what we're seeing with with cam makers last year now the tricky part is again that was probably still an outlier we should not be expecting guys to come back in five months or five and a half months. And if that does happen, you know, it's a pretty good bet to say they're probably not 100 percent. You know, there's a chance maybe they are, but but probably not. And um, and I think the Cam Akers situation was probably a really good learning experience for a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. The um, the thing that also like kind of stuck out is. There, the, the point about outliers is so true. And I feel maybe it's just me and because we live in this bubble that I see a lot of the reactions to the outliers, but it feels like with injury stuff, even more so than like actual performance and fantasy points and stuff, we're not as much, you know, people have gotten smarter with 
you know, again, in DFS, a guy goes crazy. This used to be, again, 10 years ago or something, the beginnings of DFS. Guy scored 40 points. The next week he was going to be more popular, right? People would, you know, chase points in DFS. Now the ecosystem is so sophisticated. The projections are so good. It doesn't matter. Like you'll get the guy, you know, that did go nuts and he's still cheap the next week. You know, maybe he went nuts on Monday night football. The pricing came out before, you know, before and he goes crazy on Monday or somebody gets hurt or whatever. And the, the, the field is smart now around that. So they're not chasing that outlier as much, but I feel like in the injury space, like I said, maybe it's just this bubble. You hear it constantly. They're like, well, look, acres came back. So, you know, James Robinson should be fine. Right. Because right. Cam makers did. And I, I just feel like, you know, you, you do it and uh, talk about it. Think about it, you know, a million times more than I do. Is that something like in the fantasy football market that you think people are kind of a little generally overly optimistic on a lot of guys and a lot of it's because of Adrian Peterson and Cam makers, right? These guys come back really fast. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just the Achilles too. I mean, ACLs and, and other injuries too. You'll see, um, again, kind of thinking about like when it goes really well for a player, people will remember that, but they don't remember when it didn't go as well and they don't attach Todd themselves Gur- to yeah, that Todd situation. Gurley or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's so much too that's happening behind the scenes with these players that, you know, even someone who's literally writing about this stuff and talking about this stuff for a living can't get to the bottom of. There's just, we're not there. We don't see it firsthand. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's every person's recovery is different than the next Specifically looking at, you know, ACLs, someone can deal with kind of lingering swelling in the knee. They can deal with um, some stiffness in the knee that you don't see for a few months that kind of changes the way you recover and things like that. So people, I think, attach themselves to the good situations and they kind of forget about the bad ones. You know, I don't know about you, Eric, but I remember a couple of years ago, you remember Cameron Meredith? He was like oh, yeah. the dude oh, yeah. that was going to be the next breakout wide receiver. <laughs> and and he had an ACL injury and it just he couldn't get over it. And, and it, it was just over. Um, so it does happen, unfortunately. But I think the, the nice thing is that we can say confidently that we are getting better at the recovery, at the rehab. And we are seeing performance in general start to become a little bit more easy to attain. But there are situations where clearly it doesn't go well. Yeah, Cam Meredith. There's a blast. That's a that's a name from the past. I'm not. I'm not. Well, I'm I, doing an I, article I, right now, looking at um, <laughs> looking at year one off ACL and year two. I just um, the the running back one will come out. I think tomorrow on Friday. I'm writing the wide receiver part for next week, and that's why that's in my head because <laughs> it was in the data that I was looking at. That yeah, that's so a funny. that's a blast from the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like you said. It's a really good point, actually, because he was like promising, you know, breakout type player or whatever that because it didn't go well, we have like, I I don't know the last time someone I've heard someone say the name Cam Meredith, right? But everybody will reference. I'm glad I could do that today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. That'll be well, we're going to clip that. We're going to clip the Cam. That'll be the Cam (laughs) Meredith. Um Clip the guy that comes to mind for me. So I'm I'm from St. Louis. Was a big St. Louis Rams fan. Um, and there's I'm not a, a Mizzou fan, but there's you know it's it's local to us, uh, close enough, a couple hours away. And Denario Alexander was uh, uh, you know a stud at Mizzou, and then ends up on the Rams. Well, he he blew out his knee in college and fell in the draft because of it, uh, and like would play like two games and he was really good still. And then he would just disappear for the season because the knee would swell up. He would get, he would just have serious issues. He was like 23 and he tore his ACL one time and he could just never get right again. And he ended up, you know, out of the NFL really quickly, basically because the knee just could never get right. And it's the same, it's the exact, you know, same Cam Meredith example. These guys, 
you know, just sometimes it just it's over, you know, and that's just how it goes. Sometimes you can't recover, you know, and we don't know the specifics about um, each each and every player. And so what that leads me to then is the the question that you probably hate or or um, the thing that people talk about is injury proneness. Right. You mentioned you mentioned Will Fuller. Obviously, certain players are there. There is it's kind of like BVP if you play baseball DFS. It's like I know that there is a situation in which the pitcher and you know that that hitter just you know he owns that pitcher or or whatever. But I can't ever like really predict it. Kind of the same thing with I'm sure there are guys who are just more inclined to get hurt, but I have no idea who it is. What what have you kind of like learned about that, or is it just totally a myth, or what, what is anyone injury prone? <laughs> Yeah, it's a fun topic to talk about because people get really passionate about it um, one way or the other. And yeah. I think kind of where I stand is that, you know, I always say in regards to this question, there are certain players who are more prone to specific injuries, but I do not believe just inherently in a vacuum, this player is injury prone, period. Because when you look at specific examples, we talked about Will Fuller, like his history of hamstring issues predisposes him to previous or excuse me, to future hamstring injuries. And that's the number one predictor of future injury is past injury, specifically the same injury. Injury rates go up. We see it with Dalvin Cook every year, the shoulder, the next year, the shoulder, the next year, the shoulder. He is more likely to dislocate his shoulder this year than Derrick Henry, for example. Um, So there are certain injuries that are more likely to recur. And I think that's kind of what people maybe try to label as injury prone, but don't think of it that way necessarily. And then on the other side of that, you know, what I look at in terms of trying to not, you know, disprove this myth, but also kind of think about like, let's think about this more nuanced is Keenan Allen for years. People were just done with, you know, he came out of school with a PCL injury. Then he had the fractured clavicle. I think it was. Then he had the ACL injury. Then he lacerated his spleen or something like that. And <laughs> when you look at that, just general picture, like, you know, there are certain injuries that correlate with one another. Don't get me wrong. But if you have a PCL injury in college and you, have a spleen injury (laughs) and your (laughs) clavicle like that just doesn't add up right that's fluky injuries happen there was a study a couple years ago that in nfl games less than two percent of all games played in the sample were injury free so we give these guys such a hard time for how much this sport puts on people's body and you know i I just really want (laughs) to let people know like injuries happen in this sport it's not these guys fault necessarily but when you look at injury proneness um, you look at the player's history of their past, do they have a recurring issue? And I would say in those situations, yes, that player is probably more likely to have that injury. Yeah. It, that is definitely what people will do. The latter, the, um, the, the Keenan Allen example, where you'll hear the injury prone thing that is like, <laughs> gotta be triggering to you. I mean, it's triggering to me because of the same thing. Like <laughs> let's, let's, let's put the smell test to this. Like you said, his spleen, his clavicle and his knee, it was like, I don't, I don't think the knee caused the spleen, you know, to, right. I, I'm not, a, I'm not a physical therapist, but I feel like I could figure that, that one out, but people will be like, oh, he got hurt again. You know, Will Fuller with the finger thing. Will Fuller, obviously, like you said, perfect analysis, the hamstring, et cetera. Not, when the finger gets destroyed, it wasn't because his hamstrings, you know, are too tight or whatever. Right. It's just, right. that's, that's, that's how it goes. Um, but I, I imagine there are a lot of people who uh, don't necessarily agree, you know, that that human, his body is just decrepit or something. Will Fuller, his body, you know, he just has uh, he's held together by toothpicks or something like that. So um, the one other thing before we start to kind of dive into um, some players, 
with like when we get to this point of the fantasy football season, is there like a I, I'm trying to think of how, how I sh- how I should say this. So we have all these guys that are either getting hurt in camp, are already hurt, right? And you, you're you know much more experienced in figuring out exactly kind of where those guys should be valued. Do you generally think a lot of those guys are like some of the the you know like skeleton keys to the fantasy football season? Some of these guys we're going to talk about, Chris Godwin. I think of like Michael Thomas last year, right? The guys that that get hurt and the market is not good at this, right? We're not, we're not good at assessing injuries. So a lot of those guys are probably in your assessment, like way overvalued or maybe way undervalued. Um, And are those guys you really kind of like try to extrapolate an edge in your, in your drafts? I think, I think definitely, you know, just inherently with how much I'm looking at this stuff and trying to understand again, kind of where it's okay to take the risk. Um, for me is what it's all about. That's a great comment from Jason there, uh, where it's okay to take the risk. And I always kind of, you know, bring it back to this example from last year, you know, when Saquon Barkley was a, a borderline first round pick in redraft leagues, absolutely egregious. The guy had ACL and meniscus with his surgery. It was, it happened in week two with the injury. His surgery wasn't until October 30th. So you're talking about starting the clock for recovery, basically on November 1st, essentially. And, you know, we know that usually performance doesn't happen until you're at least 10 months out sometimes up to a year for some players so when he's getting drafted in round one or or early round two you're counting on him to be the saquon barkley that he was before injury well this year early in best ball season he's going in round three we know data shows players are much better in year two off the surgery the risk relative to adp in round three versus round one is much lower so early in the summer Sure, I'm taking a shot on Saquon Barkley with that talent, knowing where he's at in the injury recovery this year versus last year, and knowing that you know you kind of get the dip in ADP, so to speak. So, yeah, there's definitely some nuance to it for sure. And I think people that can understand, you know, like there's a range of outcomes, as we said, but understanding where the market is telling you where the risk is, if you can pick out where that's overvalued or undervalued, I think there's a huge edge. Yeah, I think I think it's the one thing I, I bet I would pull you know, the serious fantasy football players, definitely serious best ball players. And if they could say, tell me one thing that I can like master and it is how I should actually value the injury player. and not just injured right now, right? Not just Chris Godwin or James Robinson, but like you said, the guy coming, coming back from the, you know, Saquon in the first year, in the second year off the ACL, et cetera. Right. Um, I, I, I would bet that that, that would be the thing that people would say because it's a hundred percent. None of us know. I mean, I talk to people every single day about this crazy best ball stuff. And it's the one thing where people are like, it's binary to most people. He was, he's hurt. So I can't take him or, you know, I'm ignoring the injury. Cause I don't know when in reality, it's actually that <laughs> neither of those are, are very correct. And uh, it's just that the market doesn't really know what, what to do with those guys. One, one other thing I was going to ask, do you, do you have, um, concussion expertise as well head injury expertise um or have you at least looked looked into that is there anything with the concussion stuff because i think to like the brandon cookses of the world and like in terms of the injury proneness the guys with a lot of concussion history yeah i mean there's so the concussion stuff is very touchy because it's an area that still is developing in the medical world as most things are but Really, when you think about like hamstrings and ACLs and shoulder dislocations, like we kind of have that pretty dialed in at this point. Of course, we'll learn more as the years go by because that's how medicine works. But for concussions, it's such an elusive topic for a lot of people and still is developing. So we don't have as much concrete 
data, I guess, on that. But we do know that a previous concussion will predispose you to a future concussion. But the tricky thing is, you know, because it's you can't really measure the risk. Like when a player steps on the field, you can't calculate how likely it is that they're going to run a crossing route and hit a linebacker, right? Like yeah. You just, mm-hmm. you can't. So it's almost, I don't want to say it's a mute point, but it's almost just so tough to to quantify that it, it's one of those things that I feel like doesn't get talked about as much or doesn't get analyzed as much because it really is tricky to do. But yes, there is some research and studies showing previous concussions will uh, make a player more likely to have one in the future. Makes makes total sense. Um that's what I was just cur- very curious about that because to me, yeah, that seems like, you know, the, the, the black box, the thing that nobody really understands because, and I, I played football. And so, you know, I've seen tons of guys get concussions. I'm sure I've had them not, not diagnosed, but I'm sure, I'm sure I've, I've had them. It's just, it just kind of happens, but that's actually part of the point. Like you said, it, it's anybody can get them on any play. You know, the quarterback could go, you know, Brady could not get hit all year. And the only sack that he takes, he gets, you know, he falls down the wrong way and um, it's a concussion. And so it, it is it is tricky. But I was curious um, just about that because it is a little different. Right. Um, and I think everybody in the fantasy space just kind of ignores it. And like I think you're kind of saying generally that's probably the the right avenue. But it's at least interesting because everyone's ignoring it. Um, you know, was there was there anything to it? Yeah, I will say too, like the one area where I think there is some, I don't even know if it's an edge because really like when the information comes out, everyone can act on it early, so to speak. The only real place would maybe be like a a waiver wire situation or something because if you're playing Mm. DFS, like we're all acting on the same information usually by 1130 on the East Coast before, you know, injury reports come out. But, you know, if you have a second concussion in season, there also is research showing that that second concussion most often takes longer to recover than the first one. So for example, let's say someone gets one in week one, they're back out there again in week three, they miss one game. Well, if they get another one in week four, like we should not expect that player to be back out there in week five, like the the recovery is going to take longer. So something to think about, I think more from a redraft managed league standpoint versus obviously best ball or, or DFS, but definitely something there for sure. This is so perfect segue from Jason in, in in the chat we can we can dive into some of the 2022 guys right the guys who are hurt or injury prone or whatever we'll just dive into some of those those uh, hot button guys and jason brings up actually a really fascinating one and i don't think he's the first name that people would you know think we would talk about it's probably the godwins and stuff but jason brings up jameson williams and i actually really agree with his point here like there are all these guys are tough to assess like i said again especially for people like me who don't know what we're talking about with injuries but jameson williams you know rookies can have that tough getting up to speed time as it is just totally healthy he you know is now going to have his getting up to speed time learning the playbook etc you know, being his, his, um, injury recovery time, you know? And so a, have you thought about, you know, rookies in this type of scenario more so than just the general injury recovery? And then what do you think about Jamison Williams, who, you know, definitely uh, was on the late end of, uh, of a season ACL tear? Yeah, definitely with his, you know, happening in the national championship game, that was such a bummer for him. Um, he was going, going off, but yeah, Mm -hmm. the, the, the rookies, you know, we, People always talk about that post buy bump or the late season surge, which is why we take them in best ball. They're great bets to beat ADP when you look at kind of the the middle to late round guys because they give you that boom at the end of the week that we care about where all the money is. Uh, yep. But 
that doesn't factor in injury as much. And so, you know, you're letting these rookies come in for the first month to six weeks, as long as they're not named Jamar Chase, who come out and just dominate. Um, yes. They take time, but they're on the field. And for Jamison Williams, the Lions have been very, you know, honest and upfront that, hey, like we invested a lot to go get this guy to move up to get him. He's clearly a focal point of their future plans. Like they don't need him in the first eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. We don't really know. I mean, they've said they kind of are targeting maybe early to mid-November. And so at that point, it becomes, okay, he's recovering. Let's let's pretend he's 100% as soon as he steps on the field, which maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Then you're factoring, and he doesn't have those early season reps to kind of get there. And so for Jamison Williams, when he was kind of going like around the 120s for me on underdog, easy fade at, at that point. Now that he's falling to maybe, I've seen him a couple times in like round 14, round 15, like, mm-hmm. Sure, I'll take a shot there because, again, the the risk that you are putting on your roster is so much lower at that point relative to where he was going earlier in the summer. So I think that's kind of a nuanced way of saying I'm less optimistic about Jamison Williams given the injury aspect and being a rookie than someone else that doesn't have the injury aspect and is a rookie, obviously. Yeah, I I think that makes a ton of sense. And your point was spot on where I love Jamison Williams. He's from St. Louis. He's also just a player who I love. I mean, unbelievably explosive, crazy fast. Uh, I think he's going to be awesome. Yeah. When he's healthy, he's going to be awesome. I love him. I also, you got to love the all American wide receiver. Who's the gunner on the, on the punt team uh, in college, you know, goes to freaking Alabama and he's playing special teams, tackling dudes and stuff, but uh, just love him as a player. And so you're naturally excited for that. You're there's a lot of opportunity on the lions, right? And they went, like you said, they, they really heavily invested in him. And so your first snap take is just like, man, I'm excited for this dude and and the late season hammer and all that and then you do really start to sit and think about it and everything that you said is like yeah i really want to get the best price i think i can and i do think for people listening that maybe want to get some some jameson williams into their portfolio when we don't see the guy you know it's like go look on twitter every day there's highlights of every player under the sun you know i i I was joking i think i saw like a I don't remember who it was Richie James highlights or something the other (laughs) like there's just highlights for everybody but so Jameson is not playing so he can't he's he's out of sight out of mind he's just going to keep falling if you play on like DraftKings he's got the out tag next to his name you know so continuing to push those guys and then maybe we do you know get you you get them at a really good price and maybe we do get some kind of optimistic report right um maybe we don't but that's what that's just part of the risk I think getting a good price on someone like him is like even more important than maybe some of the other guys that that we'll talk about. Yeah, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Okay, so then let's pivot back over to the 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 kind of the beginning. That, that at least for me, the headliner because I think this dude is probably the best bet to like completely shake up the season based on where he's going. And it's Chris Godwin. And I'm sure you've gotten tons of questions about Chris Godwin and talked about about him plenty. But being on the Bucks. Gronk being gone. I know they signed Julio, but Chris Godwin, you know, Mike Evans has been going in the second round of fantasy drafts and he's not as good of a, of a fantasy receiver as Chris Godwin is, but he was going there because of the injury and obviously Gronk retiring and no Julio Chris Godwin going in the sixth round or whatever. If he comes back and plays like even fairly early and is his, his old self is like the steal of all steals. But 
what like what are we looking at for his actual recovery? What's a realistic thing to expect for for Godwin, even with you mentioned kind of some some rosy reports, but um, I don't know what to what to really read into those. Yeah, definitely. It made it really tough, I think, on a lot of people because for a while it was okay, we're coming around to the idea that he's probably not ready for week one. And then all of a sudden, the first day of camp, he's not on PUP, and everyone's like, oh, crap, let's go. Start drafting <laughs> him. And his ADP immediately skyrockets. Mm-hmm. So when we take a step back and look at you know the whole situation, his injury obviously was late, late in the year. He didn't have surgery until about a month later. And you'll see that a lot with these guys off ACL, um, especially if they have an MCL injury, which, which Chris Godwin did do. They'll let that ligament heal first, then go in and get the ACL because the knee isn't as swollen. You can also strengthen in the meantime, so it improves your outcome. So I think if any of your viewers are into Dynasty, I am much more confident that that kind of delayed in his surgery is good for his next year outlook looking at um, 2023. But back to this year, you know, his surgery was in January. So now we're obviously in early August. We're basically seven months exactly out from where his surgery is. He's not 100%. Even if he's not on PUP, there is no way he is 100% right now. Now, can he get there in mid-September, late September? In theory, of course, he could. But I think people attaching themselves to the not on PUP, therefore he is good to go situation, I'm more willing to say that that's probably not the case. Not that it's not possible. It's just, you know, Rick Stroud is a guy that I kind of trust with the Bucks coverage. He does a podcast and he talked about this exact thing. He said, I asked the Bucks about, godwin and the pup list versus not going on pup and they said they didn't want him on pup because then he can still do some things with the team whether it's a walkthrough uh Mm. less than full speed drills that sort of thing so he's still not even practicing with the team right now and and i think people that are just attaching themselves to the headline of not on pup might get burned a little bit i'm just not sure and so i still think there's an outside chance he doesn't play week one i'm not necessarily there to say yes or no yet there's an outside chance he still doesn't Um, but I think confidently we can say we're probably going to get the best Chris Godwin this year, like after October sort of situation, just given how late his injury was and how late the surgery was in January. Yeah, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. And I actually didn't know the part about, um, like what you said that Rick, Rick mentioned and just that basically I think the average, you know, probably the person watching this when they hear he's not on pup. You know, we're excited about him. You know, they, they, all the rosy comments and everything that people are making. You know, he might be there for week one, blah, blah, blah. Think like, oh, he's practicing. Like, oh, you know, he's not on the PUP. So he's out there, you know, running with the ones, doing everything that Mike Evans is doing. When in reality, he's not doing shit. He, you know, he's, he's, he's doing the same thing as if he was on PUP for all intents and purposes. They're just doing it for a couple little kind of uh nuanced reasons so that's right that's really interesting he's the most difficult guy for me 100 percent in all drafts because like with the jameson williams thing um like if i get if i don't have him it's okay there's other there's other kind of late round guys with upside blah 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 you know we'll get to a couple other guys that you know if i have i can take it or leave it if i have him. but he's the one guy it's just on that offense no gronk whatever and just how good he is at, at that price that it's like I, I, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sink a ton of teams by drafting this dude who might just not be right all year. But I also don't want to let six round Chris Godwin, you know, we look back next year and you're like, you idiot. You know, he was <laughs> it's Chris, it's Chris Godwin in the sixth round. Who cares if you don't get him for the first few weeks or whatever? So right. he's a very tricky one. He's a very tricky. Yeah. One. And I've taken some of Chris Godwin. So it's not like I'm not willing to see that there is a range of outcomes where he is awesome like it does happen obviously we've seen that but if you're looking at making a bet what's most likely to happen most likely 
he's not 100% in the first month of the season and he kind of gets better as the year goes. So what I've taken the approach of is, you know, I'm looking at Goblin as a guy to target if he falls past ADP. If he's in round seven, sure. I've gotten a couple times around eight when there was really uncertainty when he fell around nine. It was like, okay, obviously, yes, take the risk for <laughs> mm-hmm. a guy like that, like you said. But yeah, I mean, and I think too, you, you just follow what the Bucks do. You know, they, they're, they're telling us kind of some information with the signing of Julio Jones, which I think as an organization and for where that team is at as far as win now is brilliant. Like, you can manage the reps for Godwin in camp. You can manage the reps early in the season. You've got Julio to plug and play as long as he's healthy. You can bring Godwin back and, and bring Julio down. It makes just a ton of sense. So I think you follow that and kind of see um, see where it goes as far as what they're showing us with in injury stuff. But yeah, he's a player that I think, you know, people that are continuing to draft throughout August into early September, like he's arguably the most important player to monitor in August. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree. I'm glad you brought up Julio because he's not necessarily this this type of injured player, the Chris Godwin or the Jamison Williams, but he would be more along when someone says injury prone, injury prone, Julio would be on the front page. Probably, you know, if he's not the guy, the headliner, he's probably on there and he's getting older. Um, you know, he missed a ton of time last year with the hamstring issues and, and all of that. How concerned are you for Julio just at, at his age? What, what, what should like we expect out of him basically in Tampa? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like there's so much that has gone wrong for Julio in the last three, four years that it's so tough. If you're expecting the old Julio Jones, which I don't think a lot of people are, but, but maybe Mm -hmm. casual people are like, that's obviously not, not happening. Most likely. Um, you also factor in, we know wide receivers generally switching teams isn't good. There's a lot of data on that. And so now you add in not just a veteran receiver, but a veteran receiver that's 33 years old switching teams. And historically that not considering injury, the only one to really do it has been Inquan Bolden and anyone else has really fell short of expectations. So I think for Julio, like are there a couple of weeks or maybe he gives us a, a, a two touchdown game here and there and, and for DFS it works. Sure. Of course with Brady stacks, but I mean, he's up in, what is it, like the early 130s and ADP, I think, right now on underdog. I haven't taken any of them there. I took him when he was in round 18. Like, yeah, sure, because we knew he would sign somewhere. But I- I'm kind of done taking Julio right now, I think, with the name value and the buck stack and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I uh, famously was uh, was even anti-Julio later. I'm very anti-old. I don't, I don't, I, if, if you get to my age, if, if you're my age and I'm clicking your name, I think that's, that's about, that's about, so are you, uh, are the, you taking, are you taking Kelsey in round one? It's so, so I am, but it's painful. Okay. It's extreme. It's extremely, it's extremely painful. On the draft button. Yes. I don't like it. It doesn't like it. I get sick to my stomach that like acid <laughs> reflux is happening or whatever. Um, yep. But, uh, but yeah, now I think this, this price on Julio is kind of crazy. I wasn't sure how much he would shoot up. Obviously, he was going to shoot up, but um, people are very, very excited about the landing spot, and as as they should be. But I think it should be more of the people who drafted him in the seventeenth, eighteenth round are excited about getting him, as opposed to the people that are. I mean, uh, on DraftKings, uh, I was drafting there yesterday. I, it's like one ten, one fifteen. He's like a t- he's like a tenth round pick or something. I I can't I can't do it. And and. It's nope. it's not just because of even that he got steamed up like the landing spot is great, but everything. This is a 33 year old player who hasn't been healthy in a in a in a very long time. And it's things like hamstrings continually every single year. Right. And so um, I would rather I would rather bet against him basically like having a career renaissance at 
for sure uh, at 33 even though even though tom brady can can make some make some miracles uh, another with the, the 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 jaguars we got to talk about the jaguars backfield because there's not a lot of situations and i guess we have two of them technically this year where both like the all of the backfield basically got hurt for the entire season one both obviously travis ecn was in the preseason and then um james robinson late in the year so James Robinson definitely feels like the super scary one, but also Travis Etienne had a pretty serious injury. And that's also an injury that we, we haven't really discussed um, yet, yet today. The market's really into Travis Etienne. He got steamed up pretty high, but then James Robinson also did not go on, on, on the PUP. How, like what the hell, are, <laughs> what the hell are we supposed to do with, with this situation? Yeah, this is another one that specifically with um, James Robinson, where, Doug Peterson had said, yeah, he's on a PUP. We hope to get him cleared in mid-August. Same exact kind of idea. If you're just looking at the headline of he's not on a PUP, let's ride. Like, not to, not to quote Russell Wilson, but, but let's go. Then, um, which, by the way, is the, is the most cringy thing on the internet right now. So it is, is tough, right? You can't just attach yourself to the headline. So, again, James Robinson, we know the situation with the Achilles. We just talked about it with Cam Akers. Like, week 17 injury last year very late in the year i think that was december 26th off the top of my head but very late in in december so essentially if you start the clock in early january like he'll basically be at about nine ish months when the season kicks off and so looking at a player like that versus cam Akers, well if we tried to pick which one is more likely to have success early in the return to the field it's probably james robinson but let's not forget He's not even practicing it with the team as of now. So I want to see him on the field for at least a few weeks because he is probably going to need a ramp up period to then play meaningful snaps and be contributing. So again, first month of the season, I would be very surprised if James Robinson is super productive. Could we see some games down the stretch? Absolutely, for sure. But um, he's a guy that it's been really tough to kind of buy into, especially with, again, the ADP kind of rising again because of the PUP report or lack thereof so that's where i'm at with james robinson and then you know for travis Etienne, he was a guy that i took a little bit when he was early in the season like round five sometimes around six, six. He would fall yep mm-hmm. that's great you know that's that's worth the risk i have not taken him in round three personally off the list frank issue generally the production research shows is worse for uh, running backs and uh linebackers actually and i think a lot of that has to do with kind of the start stop put your foot in the ground, change direction that's associated with that position in short areas of the field. You have to be just so much more shifty. And that middle part of your foot, which is where the surgery is, sees a lot of stress during those those situations. Now, hmm. all that said is that is a general you know outlook on Liz Frank. The, the production drops about 20% from the previous season based off research. The tricky issue is, of course, we have nothing from, from his yeah, previous we don't, season. It, right? 20% we don't know. off of him could be, if he was a superstar, that could be really good. Or if he was exactly. just average, if he was average, then it's r- really bad. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and that's what makes him such a tricky person to evaluate from, is the market in and right on him? I mean, you could argue, again, if he was an elite playmaker, like he could be valued correctly. If, if he was not, then <laughs> great comment. Great, if he was not, comment. then, um, then, you know, he's obviously overvalued. So I I've kind of personally been one to shy away from him in round three. That said, I can see the path. The depth chart is not scary. He clearly knows, you know, his quarterback and his college teammate, 
He's explosive. He can catch the football. That's the archetype we want. So I can see it. I just have a hard time buying into a player who's now three rounds ahead of ADP. And especially if you're like best ball mania, like you're going up against teams who have him in round six. And so I'm out on, on his round three price. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I, I didn't get much of, of him. But in those very early drafts, like you said, it was five, round five, round six, like starting a zero running back team or like a hero running back team with like you mentioned Saquon in the third round and then like ETN in the sixth round is like that was Awesome. I enjoyed those teams, but now um, I am still, you know, taking some some Saquon. I'm a sucker for Saquon, but ETN, I mean, that was that's a huge, huge rise that I don't think is taking into account really anything that you kind of just outlined about him. Or again, I, I'm excited about him and his career and everything, but like this is the Jaguars. You know, it, it, he's not on the Chiefs. You know, he's not. Right. He, you know, they, they, we all watch the Jaguar. I know they have a, they added a lot of guys, and Urban Meyer's gone or whatever. But it's not like they, you know, they got Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram, and Zay Jones. Like they <laughs> they didn't like they didn't turn this team into a juggernaut overnight. So he could also just be a victim of 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 his circumstances, even if he is um, fairly healthy. So I, I have some pretty serious concerns about Travis Etienne. The one guy that I think is not the most necessarily well i guess he could be some people might think he rivals chris godwin in this sense but he's the mystery man with his damn ankle or whatever it was with michael thomas who's not who was you know fighting with the saints wouldn't get surgery wouldn't you know who knew what was going on and ends up missing all of last season and then we really didn't get a lot of a lot of plot from him in the offseason actually a, a little bit of ominous reporting um or lack thereof and then you know we're seeing now he he does i guess a, appear to be healthy what do you kind of have on on michael thomas and what even like really happened to him I, I i i still don't really know like specifically what was totally wrong with him yeah so he had the high ankle sprain in week one of 2020 which feels like a lifetime ago at this point yeah. my goodness um and then of course you know missed i forget what it was six seven eight weeks and comes back and then he played, but he was playing hurt down the stretch. If you remember that season with Taysom Hill, mostly playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he still showed he could be effective at less than 100%. But then you have the situation of, okay, he's probably doing his rehab. It's going well. And we have no news for months, like January, February, March. Like people are just assuming he's fine. And then all of a sudden the bomb drops right in early June, I think it was, or late May of last year, that he didn't get surgery that he had to wait and he decided to do it then. And I think there was a disagreement maybe between the team. If, if they wanted him to do it, he didn't want to do it or whatever it was. We don't really know the details, but regardless, we know he has the surgery early summer last year. Of course he misses the entire season. And what he had done to my understanding, and the reporting has been really, really tricky is that he had um, the ligament that runs in between your two lower leg bones for your high ankle sprain uh, repair, basically. And also it's called your deltoid ligament. It sits on the inside of your arch of your ankle Um, reconstructed as well. So you're looking at two ligaments that stabilize the lower leg and the ankle specifically for planting and cutting for a wide receiver. That is paramount for especially a wide receiver like Michael Thomas, who I know people give him a hard time as a slant boy. I think he's a good wide receiver um, and he can do more than that, but people give him a hard time. But for (laughs) the sake of this injury, like he has to be able to put his foot in the ground and change direction quickly. And, you know, for me, I have some concerns about, is that the same almost two years out from the date of the injury? I have no idea. And I think people assuming that because he's back, he's back. I'm willing to fade that narrative personally based off how long it's taken. Um, and I mean, let's remember too, like 
It's not Drew Brees. There's no Sean Payton. This is a different situation. Chris Olave is very talented. Jarvis Landry can catch the football. Like Alvin mm-hmm. Kamara is going to get his. It's just a different environment. And so, yeah, for Michael Thomas, you could talk me into a situation where, you know, look back and he's like the wide receiver 18 this year. And you're like, okay, yeah, like he still, he still got it. Um, or he could be like the wide receiver 40. And I would not be shocked <laughs> at either situation. So mm-hmm. he's been really tough to evaluate. But I do think just kind of watching him and how he's playing right now, if you watch him in camp, there's some uh, clips that come out like his right ankle. If you look for it, very quick to push off and change direction. The left side, which is the injured side, still just a little bit of a lag there. And so I think he's got a little mm. bit of ways to go. We've got time, of course, for week one. Um, but it, it's a tough sell for me for a player who has that long of an injury that now is is getting closer to 30. That is he was probably the guy that's been most talked about in uh, uh, we have a discord, a free discord. Anyone that wants to join, go to spikeweek.com and click discord in the header um, where for, there was probably a month where it was, it was people were like, you cannot draft Michael Thomas. His ankle is screwed. And other people were like, he's Michael Thomas. He's going to be fine. It's been two years. You know, it's, that's one of those where we're like, just like, how the hell could he not be healthy is like kind of, and I don't even necessarily disagree with that line of thinking, but how I've started to collect my thoughts around him is, is basically like everything that you said with, um, the situation being so different when you then compound the uncertainty of the injury on top of if he was stepping into old Drew, Drew Brees was still there. We didn't have these other targets and you would project a healthy Michael Thomas to like lead the league in target share. Then like, uh, okay, that's a different situation. Maybe I am willing to, to take some, some shots, even if I'm worried about the injury, when you start to compound other uncertain factors and other things to where like he may, even if he's healthy, he may just not be that great of a fantasy wide receiver anymore. He's also getting older. He's not old, but you know, like you said, it's been two years since we've seen him and we're just assuming because of his name, it's kind of like the Will Fuller thing. So we're assuming just because of his name, you know, from multiple years ago that he's fine. But like, you know, it's also possible that he's just getting older. So it, when it goes, it goes and you start to compound all this, this uncertainty. And I agree. I've been I've been pretty much off of uh, of of Michael Thomas. He has a teammate, James Winston, who's also coming back off of a serious uh, 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 knee injury and in ACL. Um, was his was his just in, I'm trying to remember if his was just an ACL. And do you have any concerns about him and like quarterbacks in general coming? How, how do you treat them differently? Maybe than uh, you know, the uh, the running backs and wide receivers. Yeah. So for for Jameis, it was MCL and ACL, but just the ACL was operated on similar to Chris Godwin. Uh, but the research shows quarterbacks can recover and get back to their performance way faster and more efficiently than running backs and wide receivers. And when you think about the demand of the sport on that player, it's completely different. Now, if it was Lamar Jackson, that's a different player. That that archetype is so different. But for pocket passer, as we saw with someone like Joe Burrow last year, and it's not that Burrow can't run, but you know, for a player who primarily operates as a pocket passer, the dude can get it done. I think Jameis Winston will be fine. He can get that done. Um, I think he actually had a little bit of an uptick in rushing last year for the, the first time in his career. I wouldn't <laughs> expect that again with the injury. Uh, but for these pocket passers, it's not as much of a, a big deal as it is for wide receiver and running back. That makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, we'll hit kind of rapid fire, maybe a, a, a couple of guys, and then we can get you out of here. The guy who was, I, I think we sometimes forget this. I, I certainly do because I was fading him and I l- locked my way into this with, with the injury. But Derrick Henry 
you know, had a fairly serious injury last year. He was set to just, <laughs> if you didn't have him in fantasy football, just close the laptop and move on and uh, <laughs> start preparing for, for next year. But then he, then he goes down. Right. And he was, he was also kind of not his self when he came back, you know, for, for their playoff run, he's getting a little bit older. He's a freaking monster of a human. I can only imagine the, the torque and everything he puts on his body, you know, with all that power and speed and everything. But um, are the, do you have any concerns with him and his recovery? As far as the recovery itself, I don't. Um, there's a lot of good data showing that the Jones fracture, which is what uh, James Washington just had with Dallas, um, when you wait at least 12 weeks to get back on the field, the re-injury risk goes down significantly with that. And so you'll see guys in season maybe come back and, and not be 100% or uh, not be as forceful on that foot to push off. But Derrick Henry, I think, is going to enter this season you know, just as healthy as he was last year. So I'm not really concerned about that at all of course you can make the argument like he's that archetype of running back where he doesn't catch the football a lot and the mileage is really adding up there is some studies yeah. showing that that matters late in a running back's career we see it all the time you know it's it's not like uh 26 or 27 or 28 is old but i mean in the nfl that happens very quickly and he is quickly approaching that scary age so <laughs> i've shied away from derrick henry personally if he falls to the back of round one i'm, I'm taking a shot obviously but I was not drafting him, you know, like on sleeper for your casual leagues. Like he's the third player off the board. There's no way. Yeah. Um, when he's in like mid round one, okay, maybe back of round one, early round two, of course, yes, take a shot. You are, uh, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is a good thing for you or a bad thing for you, but you're agreeing with like me on every single one of these players. Uh, so uh, no. be prepared, be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Last year, my my biggest stands were Trey Lance, Darrington Evans. Actually, I was uh, uh, I was the the ringleader of the Darrington oh, Evans club. All right, forgot R about Darrington Evans. <laughs> R.I.P. Another speaking of injury prone, uh, Darrington Evans could never stay on the field, and he got hurt in the preseason. So I didn't even get to enjoy the Derrick Henry fade with the reason I was doing it. Anyway, the takes did not go super well last year on the stand, guys. So well, well, you know, cross your fingers uh, for for some of these guys. A similar guy to Jamison Williams in the receiver very late season um, ACL was Michael Gallup. And now you mentioned James James when you said James Washington, I was like, oh shit, Michael Gallup. Like it appears to me and i think i heard you i've heard you talk about michael gallup uh, maybe it was with reeves but uh it seems ominous for him too kind of similar to to jameson williams which then in turn i would think <laughs> i just don't know who the hell they're gonna play if it's not you know cd and and jalen tolbert if if michael gallup's you know kind of a, a jameson williams-esque timeline is that how you're viewing him yeah and he's actually even come out and said you know i'm not ready for, i'm not gonna be ready for week one like so he <laughs> He's doing the fantasy community a great uh, yeah shout great out to Michael here. Gallup. Yes, thank you, Michael. Uh, <laughs> we know he's not going to be ready, and so again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying with Jamison Williams. Of course, he's not a rookie, but it's still the same sort of situation. You want to see guys have time to acclimate back onto the football field, not just go from rehab to game action. That's just not realistic. And so, yeah, Gallup is another guy that early in the season when he was like hanging around the tenth round or eleventh round, like no way am I doing that. Again, if he falls far enough, can we get six, seven games of Michael Gallup and a good offense? Maybe, you know, and so are you willing to take the risk later in the year? That's kind of where I'm at with him. But then for Dallas, like, it's getting rough out there. I mean, <laughs> the Jalen Tolbert stuff, his ADP has been out of control compared to where it was. But, dude, like, CeeDee Lamb to lead the league in receptions or yards, I feel like is a good bet at this time based off what's there right now. 
I, I mean, if he's not contending for it, they might just suck on offense. I, I, just, I don't right. know what else. I don't know what else they're going to do. People are uh, one of the last guys I was going to bring up. People are are the the best ball bros that keep drafting Will Fuller, despite the fact that I'm not sure if he, we even know if he's technically alive. Uh, we, you know, we haven't heard. We got the one report that just seemed teams are monitoring him. And of course, they're monitoring him. They're monitoring him to see if he's alive because no one's heard from him in, in, <laughs> in such a long time. But people are hoping for Will Fuller to the Cowboys. And I do think it makes a lot of sense. Do you have anything on Will Fuller? Like what the, the, all we saw was the finger picture or whatever. Do you have any takes on him? Any any have you you know gotten down into the the, the doctor blogs or something? What would you help us with Will Fuller? Dude, I've lost an hour or two at least of my life trying to figure this out and find information. It's just not out there. I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, based off his finger issue, that would not be that would not be what is holding him out right now. So it's not a health concern, I, I don't think, unless he had something happen in training or whatever. But there's no reason he shouldn't be playing football right now outside yeah. of maybe he doesn't want to or for whatever reason, mental health or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we just don't know. And so, yeah, we're kind of just in the dark right now. Yeah, it is. It is very, very weird. Um, he has got to be uh, one of the, the the trickier fantasy situations I can ever remember. Because again, assuming you know, it's been multiple years since he was fantasy relevant. But the last time we saw him, well, a he was juiced up, but he was setting the world on fire. You know, he's a top ten wide receiver in fantasy. That that year we got to pick in you know the eighth round or whatever. And you drop him into Dallas, it, that situation becomes very similar to that situation when he was so awesome for fantasy with Watson without Hopkins at that point. So um, I, I, I'll be honest with you. He's the one guy that I really don't know. I, I, I've packed so many fuller bags for so many years. I'm, I'm like exhausted clicking the button and losing <laughs> and losing money all the time. So I don't really have a strong take. But um, uh, so everybody can kind of figure that one out for themselves. <laughs> I think the last one that's um, another guy that's really fallen that I'm starting to take a lot of that I'm I'm super curious on how you're viewing him is the Ravens backfield and J.K. Dobbins has really fallen in fantasy drafts even though you know we got the ominous report from what rap sheet and then Dobbins dumped on him and basically told him to shut up and um, he seems to be somewhat. Um, positive about his not just week one but just overall general health whereas Gus Edwards is um not quite as positive what do you what are you thinking about those guys am I a fool for taking this sixth round JK Dobbins uh, price it's again it's so tricky because if he was healthy he probably would be round two round three type of guy um and so you could say like hey a three round discount sounds awesome and I'll, I'll take the risk and I wouldn't fault anyone for doing that but for me when I look at JK Dobbins and the whole situation with, you know, rap sheet on PUP and him saying, I'm not going to be on PUP and back and forth. Again, this is kind of where you can get stuck in the weeds. But if you just take a step back and realize what happened with J.K. Dobbins last August, you can say, OK, it's been a year. That's great. We know that ACL is generally the performance uh, comes back to a year out from injury or from surgery, I should say, is when we see the best outcomes. But that's for a straightforward ACL, most likely. He had not only the ACL, but his LCL, which is the ligament on the outside of the knee and meniscus. And so when you add those things together into your rehab plan, the rehab goes a lot slower. So for someone who might start running at three months out from ACL surgery for this LCL and meniscus, like maybe it's month five or or something like that. And so the, the timeline just gets pushed back so much further. You have to go a lot slower. So I think, again, J.K. Dobbins early season outlook 
not favorable in my opinion. Can he be J.K. Dobbins down the stretch October through December? That's definitely possible. And so I think if you're willing to take that risk on an offense that we know wants to run the football, mm-hmm. that is going to be good. Like you could definitely talk yourself into it. I, I don't hate that idea, but I just think people taking him more in casual leagues or whatever, assuming he's good to go week one, I would be very surprised by that. But at the same time with, um, with Gus Edwards, there was a report that said he's further behind in his recovery than JK Dobbins. And so I think if you're making me pick one of these guys, like I'll take a shot on JK Dobbins. I haven't really taken much Gus Edwards. It's a tough sell for a guy that's going to be in a timeshare. That's not going to catch the football. Plus this news of the injury. Does it does, uh, make me interested i'm always looking for late round guys to mix through because when you draft hundreds and hundreds of of teams you don't want to get stuck on 40 something percent darrington evans like some idiot did last year uh (laughs) and so you want to get to some of these right there because they're all scratch off lottery tickets who knows what's what's going to hit so i try to cycle through what what you're kind of outlining that's interesting to me then is something like a tyler Beatty or a mike davis on the ravens not 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 because we don't think that like you said Dobbins and Gus will get back and and Dobbins can't be Dobbins late in the season and you know this hammer or whatever but if they're not totally healthy to start the year and you get an opportunity for a Beatty or a Mike Davis to earn a role if they play well it's just how NFL teams operate if Tyler Beatty comes in and he's awesome even when Dobbins and Gus come back He'll probably have earned some kind of a role. Maybe it's a small one, but then you you just have this guy that has gained about so much value just because his teammates are hurt. Like you know, yeah. he just you just walked into it. He doesn't need them to get hurt like we need you know Derrick Henry to get hurt for Dontrell Hilliard or Hassan Haskins to do it. They're already hurt, so he's right. he's got that he's got that little bit extra added um, opportunity. We got Mike Davis, yeah, Davis and 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 Beatty stands in the in the chat i can't think of anybody else that was super crazy notable injury wise off the top of my head was there anyone that has been standing out to you like in your research that i i missed on no i think those were well i guess the last one real quick we can touch on i was just going through uh my list was kj hamler is the guy that oh yeah you know because of the circumstances is probably going to have to play a lot compared to where he was most likely going to be a rotational wide receiver four for that offense and I get why people are excited about Russell Wilson stacks and KJ Hamler is that kind of deep threat. Right. But when you look at his injury last year, it's so tough because if the Tim Patrick injury didn't happen, I think KJ Hamler would have been a guy where his role with the injury would have been perfect for him. He had an ACL injury and a dislocated hip on the same leg that that does not happen normally. That is wow. a serious, serious issue. Um, he's talked about it, you know, was in the hospital for, I think it was 14 days lost, 30 pounds or something like that. So this is a player who has had to go through so much to get back on the field that, you know, he's cleared from PUP, which is great. It's just, it's so tricky. I want to buy into a a player that can give us these spike weeks, of course, with Russell Wilson, but I know that that injury exists. And so he's a a tough guy for me to evaluate based off ADP that I think if I'm going to take him, I want to do it now before people start getting those positive reports more. Because I think his ADP is going to climb for sure. It's definitely going to climb. It's already climbing. The moment people people love KJ Hamler. I mean, I love KJ Hamler. He's a really talented, fun, fun player. And so he, it's it's the fun guys are the ones that 
any hint of positivity, right? And it wasn't even <laughs> wasn't even really positivity for KJ Hamler. It was the teammate got hurt, and people were just like, "Oh, baby, it's KJ Hamler time!" And you know, he was going in the seventeenth round, and now he's going to shoot shoot way up. So, um, totally agree on on him. It's kind of I don't mean to compare him to this, but it's it's a little similar to like the Julio situation we talked about before, where like mm-hmm. I. I want to buy him a little bit. It's a new situation, similar to Julio's in a new situation without Patrick, but I don't want to chase him too far up because there are the concerns that you outlined. And he's still third, fourth, fifth in the pecking order of that offense. So I don't want to chase him too far when, uh, when uh, this, this is, this is funny. This is, this is the life of a best ball player. Welcome Al. Uh, this is, <laughs> it does. You feel, it feels like if drafting teams and everything is a, a full-time job before we get out of here, Matthew, this was absolutely incredible. I probably feel like I learned more on this than any show or anything that, that I've done and have a ton of actionable uh, insights to take away. What, uh, what are you like on the lookout for? here over this like what should we be like keeping in our minds maybe some specific players or anything you know any and just any kind of things that you're like really keeping at the top of your mind for this you know camp and preseason yeah i mean just injury stuff i think the the biggest names to monitor is, is chris godwin where the baltimore uh, running backs are because that is crucial to to where they're going and then i think just in general you know sometimes we want to buy the dip on players with a late season injury and, you know, with the ballers, Jason has talked about this on like his things to remember from the year prior. It almost doesn't work, you know, especially in redraft leagues like this player has a hamstring issue the last week of camp. OK, I'll take the two round discount. Sometimes it doesn't work. And so I think that's one thing to consider that these late season soft tissue injuries, which we do see happen in training camp, doesn't always translate to profitable investments in fantasy. That's a that's a. I, I love that one. I think back to this is not the same the same situation, but I uh, several years ago, remember when Debo got hurt in the in camp uh, two years, two years ago, three years ago, some, something like that. Two years ago, but I think it was. Yeah, he, the Jones he, fracture. Yes. And uh, obviously not the soft tissue thing that you were talking about, but I did that. He gets he was one of my favorite picks. He he which I feel half right about very stupid for doing it that year when I knew he was going to miss like six games and then not be healthy. Cause again, I needed to talk to you then to be like, Hey dummy, he's going to miss a lot of time and he's, <laughs> and he's not going to be right when he comes back. But I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing with injuries. And so I was like, I'm going to buy this dip. Like I can get through those six weeks without him, you know, and obviously that didn't work. He got hurt again. It was a total, total train wreck. And so that's even that you're buying the dip on, like you're right about that player. Debo's incredible. He's one of the best right. football players in the NFL, but the injury thing is just, it's a tricky, it's such a tricky one to navigate. No, definitely it is. And, and you can talk yourself into a lot of scenarios for sure. And, you know, sometimes it works, but obviously there's situations where it doesn't. So what, uh, what can, what you, you mentioned you're working on um, a couple of, a couple of articles. DFS season is, is coming here shortly. What can people be on? Where can they find your stuff and what can they be on the lookout for you uh, coming up soon? Yeah, dude. I mean, if people need to know how much of a sicko I am, along with all of all of you, I just put out a way too early week one pricing article. Which who? Why are we doing that? Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, DFS articles with the Love footballers. It. I host the DFS podcast, and then in season, I do an injury uh, podcast for uh, their Patreon community. It's it's called the Injury Blitz Podcast, and basically, it's kind of looking at like the weeks of practice reports and kind of what we can do with that information for uh, for sunday so yeah that's where i find all my work this season and um and on twitter at the fantasy pt 
Awesome. And um, if if crazy news breaks or something, we may have to have you back on at some, you know, somebody get we get some devastating injuries or some updated information. We may chat again um, at some point before the season starts, but really appreciate you coming on this. Like I said, this was awesome and incredibly informative. I feel smart on some of the players and really stupid on some of the players. So I don't really know how, (laughs) how I'm walking away here, but it was awesome. Everybody needs to make sure and listen to all of that insight. I will be back tomorrow on Fridays for everyone that is aware we draft on Fridays. Um, I'm bringing on Jacob Sanderson, uh, uh, one of the best follows on on Twitter, and maybe Loki. Not enough people know um, about him. Really, really great uh, fantasy football mind out there on Twitter. He'll be joining me for a draft at 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. So for myself and for Matt, we will see you guys later. <laughs>